Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 59 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with my co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you? I'm good man, glad to be here. And also we're here with the one and only, the man that makes the cogs tick behind the scenes. That's not going to be a catchphrase for him. Cogs can tick. Uh, Jack Mills, the producer. How are uh, you, Jack? I'm good. Thank you for that lovely introduction. That introduction. I did, yeah. yeah really That's good. a keeper, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, good. Absolutely. Good. Um, Pete, what have we got in store today? Oh, what haven't we got in store is a better question, Paul. No, uh, we've got a limited number of things and they all relate to films. Um, first of all, we're going to step, as we always do, into the foyer. This week, actually, we're going to do something a bit different, which is focusing on the Exit 6 Film Festival. All three of us have just returned from that event, which took place on Saturday. So we're going to be featuring today a couple of interviews that we managed to get uh, whilst we were at the festival itself. From there, as again we usually do, Paul and I are going to go through this week, I think, three three or four popcorn movies, uh, things we've seen in the last seven days. Jack's going to jump in with a homework review. Then we're going to get on to a feature review. This week, what have we got? Well, this week we've got uh, Matthew Vaughan's Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Uh, and also, because we've uh, talked in the past about thinking that short films should have a, a bigger platform, um, we're going to share, I think, one of certainly our favourite film uh, from at six. Um, a short film called Perched uh, by a director, a young director called Liam Harris. Uh, we're going to do a feature review of that as well. So we'll along with to, yeah, yeah, along with the uh, the interview that we did with Liam. So that should tie the show together quite nicely, I think, yes, Paul. I'm think excited about all of those things coming up. But before anything else, let's do what we like to do about this time and step into the foyer. Let's step into the foyer, indeed. Um, so, yeah, this is Exit 6 Film Festival uh, in Basingstoke. Uh, it's a film festival that's only in its second year, um, which boggles the mind, really, to be honest. It's only in its second year. Um, and is a short film festival uh, set across one day uh, in Basingstoke, where they will show, I think, 40-something films, I think, were shown this year. A whole host yes. is the exact number we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, shown across in, in different venues uh, across across the Saturday, um, leading up to kind of like a, a sort of showy main event in the evening uh, where they put like, the judges six. Um, so that is what the judges, what the, pan- the kind of panellists... Like the kind of in-competition yeah. section that you yeah, might get Yeah, the in-competition section is like the, the, the best, the best of the fest um, for but I'm sure that's been stolen by someone before, but I'm yeah. taking credit for that now. And at the end of the, um, that event, obviously, the the, the uh, judges deem one film worthy of walking away with a trophy. That is the film of the festival or best film of the festival trophy for a particular individual. Um, and as we've actually already kind of spoiled this week well, uh, or this year favorite, yeah, but. Uh, yeah Liam's film is, is the one that we're going to talk about later on and was yeah. indeed the one that got that prize but before we get to that yeah you've set up the, the festival port I mean I suppose there would be people listening to this thinking usually you guys talk about you know like major releases and stuff like that so why are we getting all these details well one reason for that is obviously because we went to the festival another reason is because we know the people who organise it but this isn't just some sort of like um, quasi nepotistic thing Actually, I think what we bear witness to at that festival is sort of relevant to a load of other areas of the world of film. Like, from people who are involved with production, to people in post-production, to actors, to, you know, all elements of filmmaking were I mean, represented there. there was a there. guy there that was in the film, Far From The Man <laughs> Crowd. Was, so, Paul. at the end of the day, you know, but all joking apart, that, you know, there is there is crossover here, and I think a lot of the, a num- certainly a number of the directors we saw films from there, 
are certainly will be you know feature film directors of the future so i think that there's crossover there but before we talk about our thoughts and we talk about obviously jack being at his fil- first film festival which is very exciting um here's an interview we did with uh, amy jean burns who's the marketing director of x66 Right, so hello strangers, uh, we're on tour today, we're at X66 Film Festival in Basingstoke and we are joined by the marketing director of the film festival, uh, Amy, Amy Jean Burns. Uh, hello Amy, how are you? Hi, I'm really good, thank you. Good, Thanks good. for coming guys. Uh, Amy's taken a little bit of time out of her busy day uh, just to answer a few questions uh, that we've concocted just about the, the film festival really. Pete, do you want to get us started? Yeah, so first of all, as the marketing director, we wanted to get like a, an idea about what are the main parts of your role, what does that involve really for you, going into the festival, during the festival, after the festival? Okay, so uh, in, the, in the beginning, so as soon as the festival ends, we, we have to create next year's festival basically so my role is to uh, create create a buzz basically within Basingstoke and beyond um, we had a big target this year to double basically what we did last year and uh, so that was basically what I've been doing all year creating a buzz in town getting sponsorship um, selling tickets basically and um, whilst I'm not massively involved with the submission process we had a target to double our submissions this year and we did so yeah it's uh, it's been all go but really good it seems like you've got this year judging by the programme you've got submissions from not just the UK not just Europe but sort of all over the world how do those come about are they just sent to you sort of via email do you reach out to people have you got sort of network of contacts on that side um, so not at all it's all done through um, Film Freeway basically where, where filmmakers submit their films um, and our marketing behind that is is social media we rely on heavily um, testimonials especially from last year's event have helped us greatly um, so basically filmmakers will go onto the platform Film Freeway and um, they will look at festivals which they think are appropriate for their film and they pay obviously to submit their film um, so uh, basically our ratings is really important to us and where we sit in Film Freeway there's over 4,000 film festivals in, in the world um, and last year we managed to get in the top 10 in, in the world so that was crucial to us and I think that's, that's, that's why we've got such a, like, a global um, programme yeah Mm. So, do you think? I mean, I'm I'm from Basingstoke originally, um, and I think like when we came last year, I was blown away that something like this could happen in Basingstoke. I mean, are you local to the area? Is there some? I mean, it's not a town you'd normally associated with with short film. For certainly not it's a film. Put festival. Basingstoke on the map yeah. in terms <laughs> of film filmmakers, I suppose. Oh my God, so proud to hear that. Um, so yeah, I'm born and bred Basingstoke. Um, so yeah, I grew up, studied film here at, at the local college. And um, basically, the idea was to, to, to bring something outside of London into in, in a place where you just you really would not think uh, a film festival would be. No, basically, absolutely. you just would never <laughs> associate. Like, even if you've heard of Basingstoke before, like you would just never assume that something so culturally important could um, be happening here today. So, uh, that's do, you, do you ever run up against that when you're talking about working through Film Freeway and attracting these submissions and, and obviously increasing the reputation of the festival? where people see the name Basingstoke and they're a bit unsure, like, is this something worth submitting to or at a level that, you know, have you ever had that problem? Or do people sort of take at face value the reputation speaks for itself? Um, That's a really good question, actually. In terms of, like, negative feedback on Basingstoke, we haven't actually had any um, because in our first year it was kind of whatever happens, happens. Um, If people are not keen on the idea of Basingstoke, we probably wouldn't know. They just wouldn't submit. Um, But 
by the end of last year, everyone was calling it Amazing Stoke. And yeah. so basically, we just feel like we've, we've done what we, we came to do. Yeah, and we should be entirely clear about the fact, you know, Paul, born and bred in Amazing Stoke, as was Amy. Um, myself, close by ish, close by. Where else? Southwest rather than, than this way. But, a bit near <laughs> But it, it's a lovely little town. For me, Paul, coming last year to the festival for the first, you know, inaugural year, I got this feeling like all the things you'd said, whether positive or less positive about Basingstoke, it was really shown in its best light when you had, you know, filmmakers, uh, film fans and stuff just like walking along the high street venue to venue. It had a really nice sort of community feel about it. And I think that's the good end of what you get from hosting a film festival in a place that is a bit smaller, that isn't London, that isn't a major international city. So there's, I think, positive and negative when it comes to the size of the place where, where you're based. Right? Yeah, I really agree with that, definitely. And we've had the support of the town in, entirely. I mean, we're, we're sponsored by the council um, businesses, local businesses have supported us massively by either giving something, giving a product or giving a discount to people for food on the day. Like, there, there is a buzz in the town. It's because everyone wants Basingstoke to do well, who's been from Basingstoke, basically. So, uh, how, yeah. how important do you think it is to... I mean, I've, I've been to film festivals in the past where kind of everyone kind of sits on a stage, the films are put on, you get a QA and a and then everyone goes home. And Exit 6 isn't like that. I think there seems to be like a movement in film festivals now to have more access to the filmmakers. Is that something that you, you, you sort of aim to do with the, the events going on around it? Absolutely. Like, networking is so important at a film festival. Like, for a filmmaker or someone involved in film, maybe an actor or something, it's so important that, that you don't just go away having watched great films. You you gain something, you take something away with you, whether that's contacts, friends, um, just memories, it doesn't matter. Like We want people to take things away. That's why we put on the after party. That's why it's so important to us that people remember and know our faces as a team. Like we, we talk to everyone. Like We want people to come here and feel like they they were treasured, basically, for, for what they did. In fact, it's funny you mention that, because last year at the first festival, I remember the, the guy who walked away with the prize for best short film Dennis yeah Dennis and I'll butcher his second name if yeah. I have a go at that one but um, yeah Dennis lovely guy we met him afterwards and not only did he <laughs> have some insight into his yes, own sort of process him, yeah. but we had a really quite fertile uh, conversation about the, the merits or otherwise of Nicholas Winding Refn which is the kind of thing that like for our show obviously and the kind of reviews that we do is so good to get input on you know whether it's smaller or bigger release feature films as well from people who really know the other side who know filmmaking who know directing and so on so yeah I had such a good time last year and I think this year's after party as well should be should be really, I, don't, really I, haven't, I haven't got a surprise boot for the Strongbow this year oh, though which I had joking. last year which is quite disappointing because when we found that in my car I remember that we're being, relying being on that <laughs> <laughs> a classy peek behind the curtain so yeah <laughs> I think I think that's, that's, that's probably it from us so yeah enjoy Aww. the rest of the day we'll let you get back to work because you are obviously very busy and thank, thank you. you for taking the time yeah, to speak thanks to so us much thanks for just giving so us a bit much, of time guys. Thank thanks you. for coming no worries cheers Right, so that gives you a bit of insight from someone involved in putting on the film festival. Um, guys, what did we think? Jack, we'll let you start on this one because this is your first film festival, unless I was mistaken. Um, and you're not really, you've not really encountered that many short films before. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. But what, what did you think, Jack? I thought it was an uh, absolutely fantastic day. Um, the way it was run, uh, the opportunities for you to go and see the films that you wanted to pick. Um, what I think was a really nice touch was the. Um, pamphlet that you were given when you put, handed your ticket in um, and that had absolutely all the information you needed to go through the day and go to the talks 
um, we went to a talk, didn't we? Which was um, oh, from Andrew Spooner, yeah. the um, the puppeteer who worked on the Muppets. Yeah, that was good. It was actually that. quite fascinating. Yeah. It's nice to have that mix, isn't it? As well, so that you're not just solidly watching films from dawn to dusk, right? You have the chance to to get involved in some kind of a, a yeah. Workshop I think you know. I think, but you know, with the with the best will in the world, like a, a solid day of shorts is, is hard work it's for anyone. Lot. So it's yeah, lot, so um, yeah. so I think what we did last year, and it was fine, but it was quite nice to actually go to go to one of the talks this year, which we didn't do last year. So. Um, I mean, no, we, we have to give. Uh, we're going to get to a couple of picks of ours from the festival that we that we want to draw attention to. But we have to give a couple of shouts out. I think one of them to, to sort of main organizer and inspiration behind the festival, Mark Brennan, who's actually been on this show um, before, quite quite a while back now. Mm. But um, yeah, it came along. I think to partly promote Exit Six, or was that pre? No, that was promoting one of his one of his films, one of he, his shorts. I think yeah. at the time, yeah. Um, and in addition, of course, Amy Jean Burns that you heard there in the interview, just very accommodating and always there to, you know, provide um, any kind of links we wanted for other interviews or just to help us out generally. Yeah, and so I think, yeah, I think those you know, before we get into before we get into a few of our picks of picks from the actual the festival, the fact that it's only on its second only in its second year, still to me, kind of beggars belief, really, for someone to you know for a team of people um, to set something like this and this only be a second festival. It didn't feel like a second festival to me. It felt like felt a lot more established than that so yeah we had a great time we'll certainly be back next year and uh, i, and I think a big, a big takeaway um, paul would be um i think as we were talking about before we went to the festival big, big takeaway definitely coming away from it is we can't all go to you know can film festival or toronto or wherever it might be but support your local film festival because this is such a, a fertile ground for like meeting interesting people and being really at, at grassroots level involved with filmmakers, right? Yeah, and if you haven't been to a short film festival, don't you know? Don't or be any put kind off. of film, or, yeah, festival. or any kind of film festival, don't be put off. You know that. Don't be intimidated if you don't make films, because ultimately the people who do make the films are going to want you there. They want people to watch the films. Just otherwise, support, yeah. Just support that scene. Otherwise, there's no point them making films if, if no one goes to see them. So you know, don't 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 think, oh, I don't make films, so therefore I won't go to a film festival, because there is still, I find there is still a bit of that stigma attached to film festivals, but it doesn't need to be there, and obviously. If people don't go to them, then obviously that stigma will remain. But but don't you know? Don't and, go and look what's happened with um, sort of boutique level music festivals over yeah. the last sort of ten years or so. I mean, film festivals can grow in a similar way, but they need support. So support them. But anyway, enough banging of that drum, Paul. What do you pick out as? We're going to say this is loosely six of the best because we used to do that. We might bring it back. Soon. Yeah. So six of the best films from this festival, according to the three of okay. us. Not just in, subjective. Not including here. the one we're going to talk about later. Um, the first one that stood out for me was actually the first film of the festival which was I thought a very funny comedy about the recording of um, a commercial uh, which is Sam Buchanan's The Lion yeah it's um, fantastic if you can find The Lion online online not on Lion uh, online <laughs> then uh, you please do check it out if we can find any, if we can find the links to these by the way we will share them um, details for The Lion are on IMDB as well and um, yeah UK production that one so you should be able to track it down yeah. maybe a little bit easier than some of the other ones yeah I would have thought um, so Jack what have you got as a pick uh, so my first pick would have to be um, Battered Dreams which was uh, Federico Ria which actually won the Audience Choice Award um, at the festival which I thought was pretty cool it was set in a chip shop in 1960s 70s um, Ireland um, basically, when loads of Italians came over and they set up fish and chip shops, chippers, they chippers, them, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and this was based on a true story that the director had actually heard from his father, who was actually involved in the story, which I thought was quite exciting. It was a very simple 
story and it really worked on the the screen I think yeah great use of like the I don't know eight or ten minutes that it was actually around for I think we we said that coming out of the screening anyway Um, my first pick for this six is a film called The Legend of Bob Leonard that we all saw in the judges selection yeah Yeah, it did Um, it's from a director called Will Kenning and it's another UK production Uh, just a scant eight minutes it's a a comedy that again you may well be able to track down if not now than in the near future The, the setup here as explained by the director himself is imagine if Robin Hood had been an arsehole Um, and from there you've got just really sharp comedy writing and and yeah just whip smart really I think in terms of dialogue and then uh, a lot of great horse work and sort of stunt work for something so short and seemingly limited in budgets I really enjoyed that Paul what what else have you got Uh, this is Decorosa uh, which also made the judges final six uh, directed by Enrique Bullian, is that? Have I missed? If I butchered his name, I probably have. That's good but enough. Anyway, this is um, a pitch black, and I do mean pitch black comedy um, about a woman who I think is still trying to have sex with her dead husband, um, and it's pitch dark. And the director's, the kind of director's video, thank you, that he said after showing the film was also hilarious. Um, I won't say too much more about Decorosa, but if you've got a very black sense of humour like me, then see it. Uh, it was very good. Uh, Jack? Uh, I think Pete stole my uh, second choice, but I think... <laughs> Sorry. Good planning, guys. Good planning. Uh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, The Morning After, which was in the first block that we saw on the day, the opening six, um, which was basically about um, this young man and woman um, had spoken about having a child um, in the evening before, and then when they woke up, he was massively obsessed with trying to organise them having a kid. Um, Yeah, it was really funny, actually. It was sort of just over six minutes long, which was perfect for that sort of story. So I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Good. And Pete, your last pick? My last pick is a film called Outsymore from a Belgian director called Pierre van der Kerkhove. The reason this one struck me, um, maybe more than anything else at the festival, is because it made me think about Sarah Polly and specifically think about the film Away From Her, the feature film Away From Her. And I was talking to someone about this afterwards that for whatever reason, I think whenever I see a, a story that is about romance in later life, and potentially um, mental impairment as well. I mean, it deals with the Alzheimer's, obviously, in this case. It, it just it just hits me in a very particular place, and I thought it was really, really well handled and um, a very mature piece of work. And two centrally great performances from from the the older members of the of the cast there. So yeah, Good. loads of Good. stuff to recommend. Just you know, we've got six there, and we've got one coming later on. It doesn't mean that there weren't other great films. Of course, there were, but we can only draw attention to so much. Yeah. What we're going to do, uh, Paul, is we're going to put uh, you know this. I don't know what I'm telling you, but uh, Thanks, Pete. we're going to put all the details relating to those picks that we've made today and to the Exit 6 website onto the show notes for this show so if we've blathered on about something and you didn't quite catch what it was check out the show notes and you'll find the details and there there were um, there were people juggling fire at the after party as well this year which was pretty cool so the after party was a lot of fun I think I don't think we can not talk about the after party I think it was good it, Jack it went was. home by half past 11 he was very well behaved well it was <laughs> it was awesomely behaved Jack, Jack's the most dedicated he crammed another film didn't you go home that night. <laughs> <laughs> it's real oh, yeah. dedication uh, yeah we can't say that we stayed out we, we can't say that we went to bed at half past 11 we didn't um, and with that we'll move on so I say it's at 6 if, it, if you get to go next year give it a chance or just support your local film festival uh, we'll be back after this interlude with popcorn movies
So, Paul, we're into it. Popcorn movies for this week. Now, I want to throw this one out to the group. Do either of us, either of you guys, I should say, know about um, As the Palaces Burn, the documentary? No. Okay, cool. So, um, I'll throw Don't even in. get to answer. Jack's seen it eight times. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've heard of it. I'll fill you in. So this is a documentary from a, a documentarian called Don Argo, although I think he's made sort of dramatic features as well. I haven't seen any of his work as far as I know. Um, it charts one tour in 2012 by the heavy metal band Lamb of God, who, familiar? With... I'm aware of the name. I'm yes. not sure I'm familiar Sort of big, but... big, crunchy, um, fairly sort of stadium-sized like riffs. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Similar. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> It's one of those documentaries, and you may have seen others that fit into this small subgenre, where the documentary is just so, a bit like um, Icarus. It's going in a particular way, and yep. then something happens which completely changes the trajectory of the documentary, and probably for the better, in a, the sense of being sort of entertaining. In this case, it really focuses in on Randy Blythe, who is and was the lead singer of Lamb of God, because I don't know if you guys were aware of this story... But in 2010, at one of their shows in the Czech Republic, a fan had got up on stage, a number of fans had got up on stage, stage diving and the kind of stuff that goes on at metal shows. This one fan allegedly was pushed from the stage by Randy Blythe, Lama God singer, and suffered head trauma that resulted in a coma, which resulted in his untimely death at, I think, only 19 or 20 years of age. Um, the band are making essentially a very run-of-the-mill tour documentary in 2012. They land in the Czech Republic. So far, all we've had is like metal brings people together. You yeah. know, metal is a universal language, all this kind of stuff. And when they land, um, he's promptly arrested on charges from 2010, two years prior. And the rest of the documentary is this guy trying to come to terms with the fact that he might be going to prison for quite a long time for the accusation leveled at him is, is manslaughter. Um, it becomes, as you could imagine, pretty gripping stuff from that point on. You don't have to be interested in heavy metal bands uh, by any means to, to get something out of this. And it's currently streaming on the Amazon Prime platform if you have access to that, so you can watch it. This is not so obscure as maybe some of the things we sometimes talk about. But yeah, that one's called As the Palaces Burn, and I would, I would recommend it to, to folk. Well, thank you, Pete. Thank Paul, what you. have you got? Uh, I've got... I don't know if you've heard of this one. Uh, you may or may not have done. Fight Club. Anyone heard of Fight Club? No, I don't think so. Have you, Pete? Um, no. Do you want to hear about what I think of Fight Club first, or the situation in which I watched it this time Do you round? know the first rule of Fight Club, Paul? Well, this is the problem, That's the end of your review. Gonna... <laughs> right. Second for me no, this week. No, no, no. I'm going to break the first rule. Um, yeah, I'm going to first just talk a little bit about the film and what I thought on on rewatch. I haven't. It's been a number of since, years, number of years since I watched it. I nearly struggled there. Nearly slipped up. I didn't. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's still it's still a thoroughly entertaining film. I think Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are, are a great are a great double hander. The, I think there's still a lot to like about it. Um, the one thing I will say, kind of on on repeat watch, and I think may, maybe because I've got a bit older now, is that it does kind of sink in a bit that you're watching this supposedly sort of anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist film. And then the, the things that hit you as you get a bit older are the fact you've got kind of the, the apartment scene where it's just, it's just Ikea product placement mm. and you've got just, it's just an Ikea catalogue. And then there's, there's certain lines where Brad Pitt talks about uh, self-improvement is masturbation and like he's the best looking movie star in the absolute shape of his life and and you know there's there's little bits where you start thinking actually this is 
this kind of a, a little bit trite the fact this is a major studio production and you know a majorly bankable and marketable film trying to come down at sort of against capitalism and consumerism i mean i suppose that, that element of the film though sort of riffs on or touches on what american psycho touched on in terms yeah. of because if you read the novel the source novel of american psycho it's i have li- read i have read the american psycho right, i haven't read the source novel it, of Fight Club. it's littered enough, with actual company's names yeah. like it, it, awash with that stuff so it depends which side you fall down like is it sharp satire or mm. is it trying to have its kind of cake and I eat it I don't know I, for me I, for me and I just think some of the politics in it as much as I, I understand that you know the, the, the anti-capitalist and you know I, I certainly sit to the left of centre myself um, although not as left as some but I, I just think some of the politics in it is quite sixth form and, and the bits of it I, I find frustrating and that's not to say it's not an enjoyable film because I did I still really like the film there's a do lot you, to take away from this it's effortlessly, effortlessly stylish do but. you know funnily enough it's not funny and I, I you know I should probably not say this on the show but I'm going to be um, open hearted and honest about it I was talking to my girlfriend today about the fact that when um, the Twin Towers were hit in, in 2001 mm. um, I remember distinctly what my first reaction was and I would, I said to her at the time, I think I'd just recently watched Fight Club. And when that event was reported to us as we were coming out of school, uh, I said, good. Wow. And the reason I say this, and I'm, you know, this is a long time ago now and I can explain myself. But the reason I said that is because I think I had, the stuff you're talking about, Paul, about having that very like... Um, selective sort of pop anti-capitalism that you might be attached to when you're in your sort of teens that was floating around my head so I thought like oh the, the man's taking it in the nuts you know here yeah, yeah. And, and then obviously as the events unfolded I realised how idiotic of a thing that was to say and sort of how, how knee-jerk and stupid and immature a reaction that was but maybe you're onto something with the fact that around that time there was a lot of that sort of biting slightly nihilistic um, slightly unconstructive anti-capitalist sentiment that didn't really necessarily go anywhere other yeah. than making you feel you know other yeah I, I would agree with that and I think you know it just seems a little bit trite that it's embraced by major major corporate studios but anyway great lines in it though yeah for, there are, for there's for sure. some great dialogue on it it's still a very very enjoyable film and it's still a film that I had a lot of fun watching so it's not to say I don't like Fight Club I'm not saying that I do like it just not quite as much as I liked it when I was I'd say well, what 1999 Fight Club came out so it's not I don't like it as much as I liked it 10 years ago if that makes sense mm. and I think 7 is a far superior Fincher work but on to if I may the context of where I watched it now I, you may have seen the signs up for cult screens advertising outdoor screenings around the country yeah it always um, seemed like to me like it might be a scam it's no there was scam. there was one thing that was advertised a while ago that I don't think was them that did look like a scam but anyway um, so cult screens if you see them advertised around the country I would say well worth attending um, not the cheapest I think it was to get the, the beanbag so basically they're outside screenings of films and this is where I watch Fight Club uh, in the case of in Cheltenham they did it in the Cheltenham Lido so it was kind of cool so you sat one side of the swimming pool with a big screen on the other side of the swimming pool um, and if you paid like £25 a ticket you got beanbags and a drink when you came in and a blanket so you know it was actually because for late September it was still fairly comfortable um, I was pretty impressed to be honest I, when I turned up I thought maybe the screen was a bit small but it, it wasn't the, the quality was really really good on outdoor projectors which sometimes can be an issue at outdoor screenings it was de- certainly certainly high definition um, and what was very cool guys is the fact that actually you've got headphones to listen to so there was no question of there was no there was no distractions at all and actually it was a very pleasant evening and, and quite a cool thing to do and if you haven't done like a cult screenings guys I would I would be inclined to do it um, and it was very enjoyable so do you know what thumbs up to cult screens good effort the only thing I will say um, is that it would have been nice if they'd maybe had someone introduce the film made a bit more of occasion because the film just kind of 
the film just started mm. and it ended and, it, and everyone left just maybe a little bit more of occasion about the film maybe like someone you know like a critic doing a doing a Q and A at the beginning or not Q and A but an intro or something like that so um, maybe one of the guys from Strangers in the Cinema would like to to do that for them I don't know where you stand on that but I I've, I've heard those guys are kind of losers <laughs> uh, and and you know um, appropriately given that you've been reviewing Fight Club I wasn't really listening I was just waiting for my turn to. Oh, Speech. I see. Yes, nicely <laughs> done there. Nicely done. So yeah, so that's that's me out for for popcorn um, because I was talking about the screening as well. So um, Pete, what's your next one before we let Jack do his awesome homework? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've caught up with again via Amazon um, Kate Shortland's follow up to Law, which I haven't seen, and Somersault, which I have seen. Um, this is Berlin Syndrome, and Berlin Syndrome. To put it in a nutshell, um, revolves around a character played by the actress Teresa Palmer, who is on holiday in Berlin, as you might imagine from the title, alone, uh, seemingly trying to get over some kind of past issue that is not really distinguished early on in the film. Um, She meets a a handsome devil of a man played by an actor called Max Reimelt, who looks a lot like Matthias Schoenartz, that kind of chiselled... So he's handsome then. Very handsome, yeah, Yeah, and falls under his spell a little bit. They share a bit of time um, in a sort of before sunrise kind of styly, walking around the streets, um, talking about their lives and interests and things like that, end up going back eventually to his place, that's where things get a bit um, difficult because he has decided that she is not going to be allowed to leave. Um, He sort of locks her in and the place is a sort of old, previously derelict building that may be in the former sort of east of of Berlin. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. It's a sort of a slow burner of a thriller. It makes you think a little bit about um, 10 Cloverfield Lane or or something along those lines. The the Teresa Palmer character spends quite a lot of the the running time looking for ways that she might be able to get one over on her Is the entire film ruined when they put aliens in at the end? Is it like 10 Cloverfield Lane in that way? (laughs) I'd have to leave that to viewers to find out for themselves. Spoiler warning. But but yeah, Teresa Palmer I think is an interesting actress. She's got something of the Kristen Stewart about her um as i said max reimelt um charmed me into his apartment uh, as well as her and um yeah you know i i feel as though it maybe could have taken a, a couple more chances or been a little bit more uh sort of trim but it's just pot boiler sort of slow burner that that will keep you gripped i think for a fully two hours I think this one could have done with with maybe chopping 15 minutes but um, yeah that one's called Berlin Syndrome and it is from the director Kate Shortland it's available to stream on Amazon now Right, so Jack, um, you're up next. Your homework this week was was what? Who directed this masterpiece, by the way? Do we know who directed it? Uh, I'm who not totally me? 100% sure. Pete, get on that. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, so I know who killed me is, is Jack's homework. Okay. Yeah. Which is, uh, I'll let you set it up, Jack. So, uh, yes, uh, thanks to Laura, I was set I Know Who Killed Me. Uh, this film stars one and only... Laura is one of our listeners. Yes, and yes Laura just, is a just listener. Just to clarify. <laughs> um, and it's called I Know Who Killed Me, and it's got Lindsay Lohan in it. Uh, this film came out in 2007. Uh, any film, really, that starts with Lindsay Lohan stripping catches my eye, generally. Oh, easy, Jack. Um, however, I did look at IMDb before I watched this, and it has a 3.6 rating. <laughs> uh, and for me going on to IMDb and looking at ratings is a big thing for me when I watch films. Um, It's generally about a typically hot college girl 
um, who likes to write you're stories. Get, you're getting into Paul's realm of like over formality and pronouncing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A typically hot girl. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, um, can I continue her? with my you, ahead, um, homework? Please? You can. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah yes. Good. Let um, me speak, Pete, for God's sake. So she's uh, abducted randomly uh, in her hometown, and she goes missing for ages. Um, there were some strange parts in this film. You've um, missed it. Hold on a minute. Doesn't she have a twin with a bionic arm? Yeah, but I haven't. I haven't got to that bit yet. <laughs> that's, that's the key here. That is key. She it's has this twaddle. She's yeah, got a twin absolutely. with a bionic arm. Um, <laughs> there's some like bizarre cinema, like blotches of colour all over the screen and stuff, which I found <laughs> slightly weird. Um, I think the budget for for this film was probably in the the low end. Um, and yeah, so it turns out I'm not going to spoil it actually, but there is a Lindsay Lohan with a bionic arm. Um, which Paul obviously mentioned earlier. The film's uh, pretty amusing. I kept watching because it was just... Some of it was particularly gory, which was quite nice. Um, There are lots of gaps in this film, and it's particularly (laughs) bad. Um, But I did keep watching because I wanted to know who um, killed Lindsay Lohan. Um, But you have to watch it because... There's loads of stuff that I could have told you, but I haven't. So uh, yeah, is it, it? Does it say? I mean, I I have seen this, but I think I was drunk at university. When yeah, I, I think it's this, one so of those films, definitely. I think it is. It like sort of so bad it's entertaining. I'm dubious to say so bad it's good. Is it dubious? Is it first? It's so bad it's entertaining. By the way, can I interject as well? Did you say 36 on IMDb? No, 3.6. Oh, because I was going to say the Metascore currently sits at 16 out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah, described as a mystery th- uh, thriller, uh, which I think it probably was. It sounds to me like it's a mystery that how it ever got green lit. Yeah, no, um, yeah, we were discussing this earlier, and I think that is the case. Jack, Jack if you can uh, be candid, of all the films that you've been set for homework, is this the worst? Um, or is there actually enough? Be. There are enough merit there. That you <laughs> can, yeah, yeah. You enjoy? I think I, oh, absolutely. I think this is the worst, um, and it's written by uh, Jeff Hammond as well. I have to say, that full, full disclosure, um, the Laura that, that recommended it is uh, is my other half and she did sit there on the sofa the other day and started giggling and she went, Chuck been certainly home yet? And I went, no. And she was like, I know who killed me. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks for you two for sending me this. It was um, quite a nice viewing experience. So, um, Yes, so homework next week. Um, listeners, let us know what you want him to watch. Otherwise, it will once again probably be Cabin Fever. Um, we may rework this at some point, but that's about as original as we can get. And at some point, I kind of want him to watch it. Yeah, I've got ideas. We're not um, watching gear. No one's watching Cabin Fever. Okay. I've got ideas and I'm Fair bringing enough. them in. Fair enough. Um, but that's, that's it for Popcorn Movies. We'll be back after this with feature reviews. And right, we're back. Are, yeah. <laughs> and we're back. I'm just so excited to talk about Kingsman the Golden Circle that I'd temporarily fallen asleep. Uh, <laughs> okay, tagged as a proper spy movie, uh, this is obviously the sequel to Kingsman the Secret Service that came out, what, two years ago? Um, again, 2014, direct- I think. 2014, yeah. three yeah. years ago. Um, it came, uh, it's directed again by Matthew Vaughan that people will know primarily probably from Kick Ass, but obviously he was a. A producer on things like Lockstock and he directed Layer Cake. Directed Layer Cake. That's where he made a sort of directorial debut, I I think. Yes, he did. Um, Anyhow, yeah, this one again um, brings us into contact with Taron Egerton's quote-unquote Chav character, um, who is 
or who has been brought into the Kingsman um, fold by Colin Firth in the first film. Uh, in this film, they have been separated following the events of the previous film, and Taron Egerton needs to find out what has happened with his former partner. He is joined in this quest by Mark Strong with a very ropey Scottish accent, and they sort of go head-to-head with a master villain here, uh, played by a debuting, in this series anyway, Julianne Moore, who is a sort of drugs baron living in the jungle. Um, provi- <laughs> it's all very over the top. It's very silly. But... Yeah, I mean, blah, blah, blah. These are the things that basically lay the groundwork for Kingsman the Golden Circle. I think it would be best just to play a clip. You know, my mama, she always told me, us Southerners get our good manners from the British. And I was thinking, ain't that a pity? Y'all ain't keeping nothing for yourself. Y'all ain't never heard of knocking for you, Henry. Well, I, actually, we had an invitation, didn't we? Yeah, how did you know? Yeah, yeah, it came in the shape of a bottle. We're from the Kingsman Tailor's Shop in London. Maybe you've heard of us. Oh, the Kingsman? Yeah. So, yeah, as you can probably glimp from that clip as well, Channing Tatum's in this as well, um, So, which is pretty cool the cast i think pete is good i think here yeah i mean I think there's, there's a lot to like on the cast i i, I apologize if, if i sort of blustered my way through the the setup but I, I think one reason for that is there's so much sort of plot to just explain in this film that i don't think is too much consequence but no, you we, could we, talk we, for we, 15 we minutes up, we, about kind of, we end up stateside hence channing tatum's uh, presence with the, the statesman which is the u.s equivalent of the kingsman basically and yeah it's Jeff Bridges a, turns up and a, the a guy whiskey is, company yeah which is run by Jeff Bridges and um, Chang Tatum plays a major role there. His name is Whiskey, I believe. In yeah, Tequila, the, isn't it? Yeah. Tequila, yes. okay. The other guy, isn't it? The actor from Narcos, whose name I always forget, that was also Oberon in Game of Thrones, uh, is Agent Whiskey, um, which is a pretty poor show that I've forgotten his name, but I have, so I shall have to move on. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, if you've watched the original Kingsman, you should know the kind of OTT action to expect. Um, it's sort of this thing started as a sort of pastiche of James Bond right it was like a send up of James Bond to a certain degree I suppose and I think the first film for me had this kind of um, energy about it and it had some ideas I guess and then it had some sort of off colour jokes and awkward choices that left me with a bit of a uh, a sour taste in my mouth Yeah, especially the closing scene to be fair yeah um so that brings us to this one Paul where does this I mean it doesn't yeah as we're saying it doesn't matter too much about the plotting of the film but like there are a lot of big names involved a lot of people that we like from other things yeah what if anything worked for you with Kingsman the Golden Circle I think there is there's a sense of fun to the whole thing that I that I liked and you know I've I've got no issue with I've got no issue with OTT action films I've got no issue if, if certain things aren't, aren't convincing as long as it as long as it's entertaining um, and I think the the cast, as we mentioned before, are all on very good form here. I think it's obviously they're having they're having quite a lot of fun. Channing Tatum, I think, is criminally wasted. He's in it; seems to be in it for about five minutes, and he's one of the best things in it when he's in it. Um, Taron Edgerton is a actor I really quite rate, uh, and I think he's certainly going to be a much bigger star um, than he, even he is already. Did you think he was good here? I don't think he was very good. I think he was likable enough. Um, I, I, I found it awkward. Like the the problems that I didn't have so much with the first film with his character, I think I had more here. Like. 
very early on, it, it feels like a sort of pantomime Chav character. Taron Egerton clearly isn't that person. Mm. And I know he's an actor and he, he's playing that role, but it started to feel just like a little bit offensive that the only way to, to throw in a character like that and make him relatable to sort of a larger audience is to have him say, like, bruv every now and again or, like, reference PlayStation or something. I don't think that's his fault. I don't think that's the performance's fault. It's though. not his fault. Know. I just have a problem with the character in general and I thought that he, he does his best. But I've seen nothing from Taron Egerton so far to make me particularly excited about it. Okay, I, I mean, I, I, I quite like him this, but... Um, yeah, and I think for, for the most part, Kingsman is is entertaining, um, and the set pieces, the set pieces. I think Matthew Vaughan is great at set pieces. I think he's he's, he's proven that with with Kickass, he's proven that even with X Men First Class, with with most of what he's done. I think he's a capable, certainly a capable director. Um, but and it's a massive but. Just what is with the humour in this film? Like, what the fuck is with Elton John? Um, so what's Elton going John, on, well, what's going to, on with the people? If we're going to people being minced, I don't. If, understand. if we're going to touch on it, we have to explain. Like, uh, so Elton John is is a fairly major player in this film, uh, believe it or not, because he is uh, he's been kidnapped by Julianne Moore's drug baron um, to perform solely for her, which is a sort of throwaway gag at first. It crops up one time, and you think, well, this is kind of amusing. It might thing have been to funny do. Once, It's yeah. a funny little cameo, and then he's brought back again and again and again. And not only is he brought back again and again and again, Paul, but I don't know if you noticed that joke that people made a fuss about in the first film is called back by Elton John yep. when he talks about oh if you save the world you can get a backdoor uh, a, a backstage, backstage pass, pass. which oh, is oh, this oh. kind of sly winking innuendo that is as uncomfortable if not more so than the original reference in the first film that by the way is also referenced earlier in this yep. film um I want to jump in on the fact that you're saying like these things about Matthew Vaughan being this capable action director and stuff, and to an extent, I have to agree. Particularly like X Men First Class, some of that. However, I'm talking we, mainly technically here, though. Right, but to... we, but we open the film with a chase fight scene in a London black taxi which to me felt completely detached from the world. And I think this is a problem I have with Matthew Vaughan mm. as an action director. Things don't feel very connected with reality and a lot of the the look of this film to be honest is like a, a graphic novel and that makes sense because it comes from this Mark Miller graphic novel and it's been adapted but for some reason it just hits this awkward middle ground where you've got like this these live action stunts and obviously live action performances but a sort of world building that seems only appropriate if at all in a sort of graphic novel setting so I find, found that awkward throughout and then a film that is set against Matthew Vaughan's action direction should be in and out should be trim should be you know punchy this thing runs two hours and 20 minutes no I agree with you completely um, but I don't think you know that's not necessarily just a Matthew Vaughan problem that's a wider block oh there are more Matthew Vaughan problems yeah, man. Yeah. we can get into those um, but yeah as I said you know like I just don't get where this go, going back to what I was saying I'll take your point actually the first the first set piece wasn't great I thought the rest of them were good the first one I agree with you did fall a little bit flat even for me as, as a, a probably a bigger Matthew Vaughan fan than you are um, oh definitely but going I, back I, to what I was saying no I don't it. understand why this humour is in it and you know there's been there's been a lot said now I was reading today that Taron Egerton refused to do a scene because it was the the, the, the really weird scene um, with, the, scene with the implant with the implanting yeah, of a tracker into a into a lady let's not hold back <laughs> yeah I mean the, the scene no, is awkward predi- to even talk about the, it's predicated on the idea that the secret agent played by Taron Egerton needs to finger a girl at Glastonbury and thus implant in her a tracking device 
That is the setup of that scene. That is shamefully. And the actress here is uh, played by Poppy Delavine, who is Cara Delavine's sister. For for what that's worth, but it it then has like a kind of Gaspar Noé internal shot as well. Yeah. What are we doing here? Like, I'm I'm absolutely with you, man. And like, there are sections in it, be it like action, maybe slightly less so, but just tone and certainly like the handling of jokes that you've mentioned. I started to long for Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's and I have a lot of problems with Quentin Tarantino, particularly like sort of latter Tarantino stuff. But here it was like this this kind of winking postmodern, everyone's guilty, I don't have to take a stand because we're all culpable kind of um, escape artist act from Matthew Vaughan and Jane Goldman, we should mention, who is the co-writer of the screenplay here. I find just like vile, like vile, honestly vile. I, I found so little to enjoy in this film. I, I can't really overstate it. And I don't want to sound like I'm a sort of blustering or anything, but I don't think, I don't think it's okay to skim. And I'm not saying that you're doing this at all, Paul, but I don't think it's okay for people to skim over films like this and say, oh, well, you know, it's some good action. It's a popcorn movie. But of course there are a couple of off-color jokes. This is the culture that we're living in. And maybe we're getting the movies that this culture deserves because if we're holding up a mirror and getting Matthew Vaughn productions, I think we've got a hell of a lot to worry about. You didn't like it then. I really, I, I, I think it's a loathsome some piece of work quite honestly I think that there are little bits of, of good here and there Julianne Moore is having I Julia, fun I thought Julianne Moore was great in fairness Ju- yeah. Julianne Moore has yeah. has fun with, with what she's given which is a sort of Megan Mullally type uh, type sort of um, caricature villain role but so much ugliness over, over yeah, the I thought bits I to, kind of to enjoy paper, yeah I thought it was okay um, it's watchable enough with it with some major problems um Right, so that's that for Kingsman, um, The Golden Circle. Um, after this brief interview, we'll be back with our review of Liam Harris's Perched. Yes, Paul, let's, let's take a, a breath. Let's take a deep breath, particularly for myself. Definitely for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And let's... And let, it deserves it, man. It deserves more, actually. I'm, you, you cut me off, and that's good for the running time of this show, but it deserves more. We're on to Perched, and we're on to um, the film that won the, let's call it the Grand Jury Prize, at Exit 6 Film Festival, Liam Harris's Perched. Um, to set this one up, uh, I think we should, just before we hear from Liam himself, Paul, what's the basic premise? Um, it's a It's a... It's a it's a shorthand drawn animation um, that basically starts with a guy in his submarine perched on the top of a mountain, and it looks like at some point there's been a flood, and maybe he's been left. Well, obviously has been left perched on mm. perched on the top of the mountain, um, and that's basically it. Yeah, I think Liam touches it on him uh, on that himself, um, maybe in, in even more detail. So um, we'll let you get into listening to our sit down with Liam Harris, the director of Perched. Hello strangers, um, here we are at the very end of Et 66 Film Festival, which has been a great day Pete, I think you'll agree. Yeah, a lot of films fitted into a relatively small space yes. of time. Which is so always tiring, but fun to be fair. It's and looking forward to yes. the after party now, on the yes, very cusp of looking forward to that. the after party. Uh, what we've managed to do is we've, we've managed to snatch a man away from the grips of the after party. A triumphant um, man. Yes, a triumphant man who has just won best film at Et 66 with the, as far as I'm concerned, quite fantastic and deserving winner, Perched, which for me was one of the most heartfelt animations I've seen in quite some time. So 
Liam, tell us a bit about yourself. Liam Harris, yep, I, yep. I, I believe. Yep. Liam, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us about Perched and stop us talking. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm originally uh, a black country boy from, uh, from the Midlands. Moved down south to, because uh, of the film school, the National Television and Film School, uh, to, uh, to hone my skills in animation and storytelling, which is what I hope Perch did. And, you know, as of tonight, it, you know, a lot of people enjoyed it, which was great. But, you know, Perch for me was, is sort of a kickback to my childhood, you know, growing up with uh, 2D animation on, on, on television, you know, Sunday afternoon films, you know, the things like Watership Down and Where the Wind Blows and all that sort of thing. You know, that was the sort of storytelling that gripped me. And you could tell when you were in the room with parents and family that, you know, if they were doing stuff in the kitchen, they would stop and they would come in and watch it. And it's that sort of moment that I kind of want to, you know, bring families together and things like that. But also add a little bit more fun. Because obviously those stories growing up, you know, there was, there was quite a lot of uh, sad moments in films like The Snowman and all that sort of stuff. But well, Watership Down is savage. And Watership <laughs> Down is completely savage. But, uh, you know, and even uh, when the wind blows, you know, ultimately, you know, it's a very cute, charming film. And it was one I grew up with. Um, but ultimately, you know, uh, it ends up being a film about, you know, death and dealing with death and things like that. And that, and that was the route I didn't want to go down. I just wanted to touch upon uh, childhood animations and things like that. So, you know, I wanted to tell a story from mine and sort of uh, incorporate it with, with that nostalgia as well. Um, and, you know, I, that was the struggle was to, was to try and bring those two elements together um, and to try and make something that people didn't question when they saw it because the biggest task of all was making people believe that that submarine could be on that tip of that mountain. The amount of reviews we went through where people said, don't believe it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then, I, you know, and then we went through the whole, you know, you, you know, we looked at films that were relative, like for example, Up. Up has, you know. I was about to say, I thought there yeah, was a bit of 20, up 20,000 balloons that pulls up this house. Theoretically, that doesn't work. You know, take millions, and we, you know, we looked at it. But you know, it's it's that suspension of disbelief where you get people, you draw people in with the character and the environment, and then it doesn't become a question. You just then care about the character and where he, you know, where the character goes, and you get emotionally attached. And you know, that's what I wanted to do because you know, that's those are the films that I loved when I was younger, and it's great to be able to share that with people now. It's probably worth filling in for people who aren't aware. What's the basic setup of your film for people who haven't yet had the chance to see the film as, as we have? Okay, so Perched is uh, about a, a man who lives a life of seclusion as he lives in his submarine that is precariously atop a mountain. Um, and what we do is we don't show you how he got there. We just show you the fact that he's been there for quite a long time. He's running out of everything that is left there in terms of surviving and things like that. And it's ultimately a story about... Um, having to let go you know he's in a position where he's been there so long and it touches upon everyday life where you kind of need that extra thing just to give you that push just to take that next step and sometimes it can be a very scary step to take you know um and you know a, you know an eighty thousand foot drop to the to the <laughs> to the floor is um one one hell of a scary drop so you know it, it was sort of a, it's a big metaphor for you know people who struggle to making that next step whether that be in their job whether that be um you know, with their children, you know, taking that risk of having a family and things like that. And, uh, you know, because those are all the things that are, you know, happening in my life at the moment. And uh, hopefully that sort of visual metaphor comes across. I think, I think it really does. Um, just one last question and yeah. then we'll, we'll join you. In fact, we'll let everyone go to the bar then. That sounds good um, to me. But what, <laughs> what draws you to, obviously there's, there's a big movement in the CG animation at the moment. Yeah. And you did touch on this when you were talking about yeah, the film. Yeah. What draws you to hand-drawn animation? And, and, and a follow-up question, 
Wouldn't it be nice to see Pixar use hand-drawn animation? <laughs> <laughs> they won't. Um, okay. <laughs> they won't. Uh, no, I think, for me, the reason it draw. I mean, from an early age, I mean, my, my heart wasn't ever really set on making the drawings move. When mm. I was a lot younger, it was just about drawing. Continually drawing, um, you know, that was in taking on a lot of life classes and things like that and making sure, you know, I, I honed characters and understand people. You know, I did, you know, when I was growing up, I just drew people. That's all I wanted to do and see what people did in the streets and see what people did in, in, in various places. And, you know, you can tell a story by the way a person sits and moves and things like that. And, and you know, and I then took that into thinking, well, what's the story behind this person and, and things like that. And, um, and, that's, and the, the drawn element comes from my upbringing of drawing. Uh, in terms of going on the CG side, I don't, you know, I, I, I love all films. Um, and I, you know, I, as much, I love Pixar as much as the next person because their storytelling it's is, is fantastic. It's fantastic. You know, I, the thir- I think the thing I was taught from the get-go is you, you can't polish a turd. And if the, story's, <laughs> if the story's shit, you know, it can look like a million bucks, no one's going to care. And I was thought, right, I'll take that on board. And it's literally, you, I mean, the, the films that you see and the, the films that people care about aren't necessarily the ones that look as good. It's the ones that make you feel something and the, you know, read you, you know, when you leave and you start coming, you know, that film was great, you know, this, it made me feel like this and people talk about it after, that's what you want. Um, and that's, that's the element that I love about Pixar, is the fact that people walk away and they still talk about it. They don't go, you know, that bit was great, but it's like, actually, that made me feel really good. You know, I, I want to go out and sing like Moana or I want to go out and uh, attach a load of balloons to my house and see what happens. You know, people want to do it because they felt emotionally attached. And, um, yeah, so... You know, there's a lot to learn from guys like that, and I, you know, Pixar will never do 2D. Disney might again. You know, the the last one was Princess and the Frog, um, but they still do a lot of shorts. Mm. Um, and you know, hopefully one day I'll be kicking around some of their shorts. Excellent. And one final question, just before we do go to the bar, how does it feel to have won that six six, the best film of the festival? Congratulations. That, thank you. It was, it was a big surprise. I mean, like I was speaking to the guys at the end, and you know, the, you know, that film was really, you know, the the legend. Um, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was such a good film. I was talking to the guys at the bar in the interval, and I was thinking, you know, they were telling me about it, and I was waiting to see it, and I thought, damn, this is going to be a good film, and it, you know, it didn't, you know, didn't uh, fail to, you know, make us laugh and. And you know, to to have having the words from the uh, the judge, and to hear that you know the kind words about it, you know, it makes all those late nights of not being able to hold a pencil and draw every frame worth it. And uh, yeah, that was painful. So <laughs> but yeah, as if for some kind of a sign. This you probably heard. There's sort of a disco in the background. There is it's like a, calling us on. There's a Whitney Houston tribute. Okay, okay. okay. So we've got two so, options, guys. So to, well, I was just going to say to wrap us up, Liam. Um, I forgive the pun, but it seems like you're a man who is really perched on the edge of some great success and sort of bigger and even better things in the future. However, people listening to this now who yeah, may yeah. not have seen your film yet, yep. where can they track you down? Where can they see your work? How can you get your, your I don't know, internet presence or wherever you're, you're found out yeah, there? Yeah, so every, everything I've done, all the, all the short films previous, all the stuff coming up, you can find it on my website at liamh.co.uk. Um, or follow us at Post2016 uh, on Twitter. But we, I've got a, another short film that was done with Channel 4 that's just been completed last week, so we've done a super short with them. Um, and we've got a, another... Uh, we, we've got a bigger TV short that we're trying to... Pick, well, we, at the moment, we're pitching for Channel 4. as a festive short. Obviously, me touching upon the snowman, I think it's good to bring that sort of stuff back um, and to bring that tradi- traditional uh, animation back to... 
the Christmas season, and I thought, you know, why not? Somebody's got to do it. So, uh, so yeah. So we, you can find us on on the website. In terms of screenings coming up, we're in Wimbledon in a couple of weeks. We're doing a couple of American ones as well because we we're actually coming to the end of our festive uh, festival circuit. So yeah, Wimbledon, Wimbledon in two weeks, and uh, yeah, and then we're also doing Norwich as well in a couple of weeks. So keep a lookout if you want to go and see it in the theatre. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Liam. Much appreciated. Congratulations again, uh, and we'll see you shortly at the bar. Cheers, chat. Thank you. Cheers, guys. So, yeah, I think that kind of sets up the film quite well, um, and Liam, it was nice chatting to Liam, actually, as, as we were saying earlier, to get some insight from the filmmakers is, is great, and obviously, you know, Liam, I could see Liam, congratulations again to Liam for winning winning the, the main prize, uh, and it was great to chat to him about the film. Um, so I think he set it up quite well. Um, Pete, what did you think of this film? Obviously, we're, we're feature reviewing it, so we must have... Quite, quite liked it, I think. But yeah, well, just to reiterate, I mean, we're really grateful to, to Liam Harris for his being so generous with his time, first of all, because um, he didn't have to do that, and he did, and it was great. Um, but yeah, lovely piece of work. Uh, I think we were describing it before as a sort of Pixar film, but hand drawn. Mm. Um, Ten thousand odd frames, I think he had to draw to the point where he couldn't use his own arm. Um, so there's a lot of love that's been poured into the film and you can see that, I think, in every every frame. And as you got from the interview, um, or as we got from the interview as well, the fact that he doesn't need to push the message sort of down your throat, but it's so clearly there, I think is to his credit. I mean, he's a young filmmaker, but he's clearly got his head screwed on and he's got ideas and he wants to express those ideas through his chosen medium. He's not merely happy maybe to produce you know pretty animated work he has some things going on that he wants to convey and i think that's to his to his great but you say that but it it is exceptionally pretty though it's very it's very pretty thing that does um certainly stood out for me is his hand-drawn art style is is fantastic yeah i I just think it, sorry to interrupt you, Paul. If you want to get an idea, head straight to YouTube. The trailer for the film is on YouTube right now. Um, yeah, so, we'll, yeah, we'll post a link. But um, yeah, and I just yeah, I think for for me, it, it was a deserved it was the deserved winner of certainly out of the, the judges six. Um, and I, I really think it was one of the finest examples we saw at, at the festival. Um, I just think it as as you stated a minute ago, Pete. It's just the fact it's got so much heart to it, and I think that that came across like. Is, as you say, it'd be very easy. It's very easy to make something that looks visually stunning and, and engage an audience that way. But this, you know, and we're well, not that easy to do that no, either. No, but... not, not in this. Certainly not in the case of animation. No, I, I, I take that back. Um, but this, yeah, this just exuded heart and you know the personal touch there. And it what for me it was you know it was as charming as as charming as a lot of the Pixar the Pixar shorts you see running in front of their feature films. And certainly, you know, he's, I mean, it's, it's a project made from the National Television and Film School, so um, Liam is already going places if he's managed to get in, get in there. But, but I just, I just really, really liked it, and it's, just, it's, it's a heartwarming, a heartwarming animated winner for me, at least. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just my suggestion, but if you are unfortunate enough to have um, witnessed Kingsman: The Golden Circle, once you've taken your shower. Um, watch at least the trailer if not when it comes to the to the sort of online platforms the entirety of Perched just to sort of cleanse your palate and remember that people can be fundamentally good and not horrible yes I think um, that's a fair, fair uh, comment to be honest yeah uh, yeah so um, yeah as we've said many many times that's Liam Harris that's Perched it was a great festival loads of talented people there we were privileged to be able to go and long may it continue I mean I'm sure year three will be even better than year two and year one before it Yes, we shall see. But yeah, check out Perched if you can. As I said, if we if, if we made aware, Liam, if you're listening, uh, when it becomes available, we will share it with uh, you, our listeners. So hopefully, you'll all get a chance to see it. Certainly, keep an eye out 
for him in the future. Um, that about brings us to the end of this show, though. We'll be back next week with a more conventional show where I think we'll be covering Flatliners and one other, possibly Borg McEnroe, depending on how we feel yeah, about Borg McEnroe or Bad Batch. Um, one, two, or yeah, three. Bad of Batch those has three. finally dropped on Netflix, hasn't it? So we need to catch up with that one, certainly. Um, but that's to say you can find us on at Strangers Cinema on Twitter, Strangers in a Cinema on Instagram and on Facebook or Strangers in a Cinema at gmail.com. Uh, but for now, I'm out. So goodbye. 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 Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down.